Artificial intelligence will completely transform our world. But what is AI? Why will it affect you? And how can you and your business survive and thrive through the AI revolution? Welcome to AI and You. Here is your host, author, speaker, and futurist, Peter Scott. Hello and welcome to episode 181. We are talking with Paul de Otemans and Dev Aditya, who have built a digital human AI teacher, as they put it, called Beatrice, whom we talked about last week, along with Teddy, their virtual teddy bear for teaching four to nine-year-olds. Their mission is to upskill 750 million underserved students globally by 2030. Paul de Otemans is a female tech leader in the UK, she is a neuroscientist and psychologist with a PhD in cognitive psychology and cognitive neuroscience from Brunel University. She was named one of the 22 most influential women in the UK of 2022 by Startup Magazine UK and has also received awards for her work from the UK Prime Minister and globally. Dev is a young global innovator and under 30 social entrepreneur recognized by Innovate UK with research experience at the Alan Turing Institute and Brunel University London, and his work is currently operating in 13 countries. He and Poldy run the Ottomans Institute at oyedu.co.uk. Let's get back into the interview. I want to look at how this can change and is likely to change the shape of education here, because we're talking about a number of things here where I think it's not clear how this evolves and how it gets used. We were talking earlier about Beatrice helping someone flesh out their CV. That's a one-to-one interaction with an adult who's motivated to have that conversation, will direct it themselves. Beatrice can be an assistant in that respect. That's one context. At the other end, we're talking about primary school and elementary school children where the younger you get in the student population, the more important group interaction is and the role of a teacher in managing group dynamics and directing the interaction along planned lines. Now, I think people may have started listening to this with a, some sort of vague vision of a robot teacher in front of a classroom somewhere, maybe virtually on a screen, we're not going there by the sound of that. This sounds like more like an adjunct at these younger levels to an existing educational context that takes place outside of an established classroom. Can you clarify where this is and where you see it going? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, Dev, shall I start and feel free then to add your thoughts to that too. Yep. So we believe that we are currently in something called Teaching and Learning 3.0. So let me explain how we got there. So firstly, when we're talking about teaching and learning 1.0, is what we would say is our like traditional teaching. So schools, colleges, universities, there is someone, a teacher, an academic, a trained professional talking in front of a room of students or learners about the theories, the concepts, the topics. This can be interactive if the teacher allows that. <laughs> can also be very monotonous. <laughs> but hopefully there is some interactivity there or with exercises and activities. But it's definitely not accessible. If we're looking at two factors, accessibility and interactivity, we would say that traditional teaching is interactive, 
but not accessible. It's not accessible for a lot of people. It costs money. You have to be able to get there, you know, etc. Then we move to something that we say is teaching and learning 2.0. And this is digital teaching. So this has basically two strands. The first one is, which very got very much increased due to the COVID-19 pandemic, is online learning. So in terms of Zoom and teaching support via the screen. So a bit like what we're doing today, we're talking online. That's very much more accessible. Although still, you need to be able to book that appointment with that particular tutor on that particular day and time. And you still need to be able to afford it. So it's a little bit more accessible, but not yet really. It can be interactive, however, because you have that one-to-one conversation with that person. The other strand of digital teaching is e-learning platforms. Coursera, Udemy, you know, name them all, all of these that are out there in the world. They are very much accessible. You can often do a free course. If you want a certificate, you often have to pay, but you can learn a lot. But that is just content. There is video content, there is text, and you have to go through that as a learner all by yourself. There is no one there to guide you. So you can't ask questions. A lot of them are not motivated. The dropout rates or the non-completion rates are very high. And we would also say that that's not interactive at all. You're just there on your own and you go through this website and you scroll down. So here we still won't have them both. So when we then move to teaching and learning 3.0, where we're talking about conversational AI tutors, generative AI platforms, that's where we think, yeah, now we have interactivity because you can interact with our AI teacher anytime you want. And it's also accessible. So we believe that that's sort of how education has moved and where we are now. Uh, Dev, would you like to add anything? Maybe also this goes further on. No, I think you covered that nicely, Paldi. So I'm just going to talk about it from a different lens, which is very important to understand our work. And I would really try and paint this picture because it's obviously better to be visual and to talk about the product. But Essentially, our work, as I started talking about it, is about really scaling the teaching part and the teacher part. So I'll just give you an example. Traditionally, who creates content for their class, right? It's the teachers in the department. Maybe you're using a book, but you create what you're going to teach for that semester. If you have a book or if you have a research paper, who helps dissect that or create notes on it? It's the teacher who traditionally does that. Who teaches you in the class, be it as a lecture where you're talking at or be it in seminar groups or one-to-one, it's a teacher, which is giving you either that interactive lesson or they're taking bites and saying at you. Who prepares the question paper, the Q&A, be it multiple choice questions or the other questions? It's the teacher. Who corrects it? It is the teacher. Our product, okay, let's not talk about the product first. Today, all of these things can be done by AI. In minutes, I'll just give an example. If you don't have a new uh, sort of module on how to use AI for business, you can click a button, four minutes, we'll have an entire 10-hour module made by our system. You have research papers which you want to be dissected. So we can give an eight-page research paper to our AI, three to four minutes, it's going to churn out about 16 pages of elongated explanations, etc. That's really dicing out that paper. And these are just small pockets of how we can use the technology. But what we are saying is we are pooling all of this in the back end together. And that's creating our teacher. And that's where we are coming in. So if you look at it as a product, when you're learning as a student from the teacher, obviously she is teaching you, Beatrice is teaching you, and she's questioning you, and she's motivating you. But a lot more happens in the background because she's you know, dealing with the content. She's creating content or she's synthesizing content. She's generating questions. She's generating 
long answer type questions. She even generates hints for long answer questions. When you can't get it, you have to click a button, give me a hint. She generates it. That's actually the code of our work. And obviously, a lot of these things are not in Teddy. A lot of these things are in Beatrice. Some of the things in Teddy are not in Beatrice. But at the back end, this is what we do. And different products have different use cases. And if we talk about Teddy for a, a moment here, then one of the functions of a teacher at the age range of younger students is to maintain their focus and monitor that. And is that something that you rely upon the humans to do in the case of interactions with Teddy? Or does Teddy somehow achieve that? Or do you set up a context where it's not necessary? So what happens with Teddy is, first of all, I don't think from an attention point, uh, there would be a problem because we've seen it. You know, obviously children like teddy bears and it's a game at the end of the day. They have a bright screen, so that itself works. But from our own research, what we have seen is the interactions are very long. And the best way to do it is not to, obviously we have a dashboard which the parents can see. Obviously the parent or the teacher can obviously have a third person sort of vigilance on what the child is doing. But the best way to keep attention of the child is when Teddy says himself. So what we mean by that is, I'll just again paint a picture for you. The child is playing with Teddy and Teddy says, oh, what color do you like? And then you can also touch Teddy. So don't touch my belly. And they're laughing. And Teddy says, oh, that was funny. Now let's practice the multiplication of two ones. And two ones are two. And the child does the whole multiplication. Teddy gives them a star. Then Teddy again goes back to playing. And then again, he goes back to the content. So that really keeps that interest and that attention span for a very long time because you're not continuously learning. You're playing and learning at the same time. Do you have anything in, and again, I'm thinking Teddy here, where it can react to negative treatment? Like if a child abuses it in some way, does it react with a sentient type of response that would discourage the child and teach them, no, that's wrong to behave that way. It does at the moment. Yes. It obviously responds because it's generative AI. So it responds relatively sentiently. So it's not a fixed response that it gives. However, I think one of the points of our vision here is to go one step beyond that, which is if we are really seeing this coming up, we also want the child to open up to Teddy. And in the parent dashboard, if there are things that the child says that's worth flagging to the parents. And in today's generation, there can be you know, bullying, etc. That also can come out to the parents. So that's the ultimate vision because it's their buddy, which is outside of the realm of authority. And a lot of these interventions can come because of the dialogue that he has. So that's the ultimate sort of goal we have. Are either of these models multimodal? We have a small version of Teddy in the web. We are keeping it yeah. limited at the moment because we want downloads. It's on Android at the moment. If anybody wants to give us feedback, etc., it's an early beta. It's certainly going to be on iOS. We just haven't launched it yet because we are focusing on the Android market at the moment. But eventually, you're going to have it on all three. However, I think our strategy is the apps will obviously have larger sort of feature sets. And also because, you know, it becomes too heavy on the web otherwise. Yeah, the web is more of a shorter version. It doesn't have all the features that you can do on, on the app, but it gives you a flavor of what is possible. Right. I mean, uh, are they able to consume and emit images, for instance? <laughs> not at the moment. Not yet. <laughs> not yet, but the reason I'm smiling and the reason Pondi is smiling is because they are basically pretty far ahead in our R&D division. So we will be experimenting with those but it won't come to Teddy first. 
Actually, I'll just say this. So two things that's going to come early on is Beatrice is going to have more of image coming in very soon. So it's not only going to be generative text-based interactions. We already have image-based interactions, but we need uh, human involvement there. That's going to be made into AI. That's what is going to be tested from January. And for Teddy, our first focus is going to be child interaction. So if the child, let's say, draws a heart, right? So that's also in its own right uh, image, if you're detecting it like that. Teddy should be able to understand what that is and give it a visual appearance. So that's where we are going at. But multimodal is absolutely a focus point, even more than other languages at the moment for us. Now, we've talked about Beatrice helping people at a graduate level. We've talked about Teddy helping children at an elementary level. In between, we have this large landscape called high school where students need to learn specialized subjects like math and physics and science and is that an area that you get into? Is that a market that you're also going to have something to do with? We could use Beatrice from the age of 14 and above, but we are not focusing on that at the moment. So certainly, at the end of the day, and there's a reason for it, what we want is to give a lifelong teacher, somebody you trust, who is your study buddy, a teacher, a mentor to you. So in essence, in essence, in theory, if you start with Teddy at the age of four, maybe even at the age of 45 with Beatrice, you want to learn a new skill, you can do that. Now, the shapes change, right? You might be learning with Teddy now. You might have another avatar for your school age. You might have Beatrice or Kaya, another one of our avatars for your lifelong learning or for your college. But end of the day, it's the same model powering it. So that relationship can continue. That's our vision. So that you have, as we say, we want to give you a teacher in your pocket. And that teacher always stays with you. It's very personal to you and it understands you perhaps more than a lot of your peer circle. And it's very confidential to you so that you can interact with it at those deep levels and understand things. And that last point, I'll just give you an example. Being in the West, yeah, that's fine. I'll just give you an example in India where people see a big use case for a personal AI teacher. Actually, I'll give you two examples. Number one, what society tells us here, sex education is a big problem. It's a taboo subject. Even in schools, they still can't teach it properly. Parents feel shy, you know, it's a taboo subject. So they would prefer an AI to teach it because they need, the children need to know here, explosion of population, etc. That's one. Secondly, India probably has the world's biggest coaching industry. It's a unstructured $20 billion a year industry. So I was just talking to children as well, you know, if you have coaching, etc., why would you still use Beatrice at home? And obviously, a lot of them can't access tutoring as the privileged classes can. But one of the answers that a girl gave to me still rings in my ear. She basically said that I go to a coaching center and I don't really ask questions and I dug in why. And she just looked up to me and said in Hindi, I'll translate it. Sir, would you like it when you ask questions and everybody looks at you with a judgmental eye? Right. So this was absolutely new for me. But what we have found here is as well that you know, when it's not one-to-one, even when it's a three, four-person setting, this, you know, not wanting to feel stupid in front of others limits people's learning versus an AI. It's still an AI, right? It's a very much more open conversation. That could be of benefit. You're talking about how people feel that AI doesn't judge them and they're able to open up. But yes, I just got a comment on the situation you've just described because I've been certified as a coach for over a decade now and to make anyone approaching a coach 
feel judged in that way violates core tenets and principles of everything I've been taught. I, I just am disgusted by that anyone would have that experience of coaching. I just had to say that. No, no, thank you. I, I'll just add one fact there, or I'll just reiterate one thing. It's a $20 billion a year unstructured industry. There is no laws there. And it's about 350 million students. So that's a big problem anyway. I just wanted to say the same thing and also that maybe the term coaching is misused in the setting that you described, Dev, because these people are not necessarily full qualified coaches. They're more like, you know, private tutors, teaching assistants, putting them in quotes. So they're not coaches as how we, if I would have a meeting with a coach, it's totally different. That's a qualified coach. And I go there to ask questions, to find out more things that they're coaching me to get there. I don't think that's the same situation as what is happening at these so-called coaching centers. It certainly shouldn't be given the same name. What are your biggest challenges that you're facing with developing this platform further and getting it to do what you want? Cloud costs, I would say. Computing powers. And where do you see the future of development? Like, What do you want it to do that it doesn't yet do? We wanted to create a better relationship with the people. So end of the day, we don't have AGI. Right. So anything that we create, even if it's, you know, largely AI based, such as ours, it's a number of narrow models put together to synthesize an experience for the user. So for us, I think our ultimate North Star in the organization is human like. So we want to radically improve that because at the end of the day, the biggest value this teacher can give you is a teacher who can motivate you, who you trust, who you have a sort of click with. It's not just a ping on your screen as Duolingo. And that itself created a wave in that industry. It should be more than that. So that's an area we want to, and perhaps we will continue improving over the years. And I would just to add on to that, on for all the different age levels. So human likeness is not necessarily the same when we're teaching adults of, I don't know, 35 plus, or when it's the younger children that interact with Teddy, the five years old. The human likeness is very, very different. And the interactions and the level of interactions one has is different. So to develop that further, I think, is a challenge, but an interesting challenge. Pauldi, can you speak to some of the pedagogical science behind what you've developed here? There must be perhaps some instruments or instrumentation that you have performed on this that uh, gives you perhaps some objective measures of how well it's achieving certain goals? Yes, of course. So I think let's start this by sort of talking about what do we mean by teaching? Because that's already a concept that is defined by people across the world in different ways. So a lot of people say when it talks about teaching, oh, it's someone who gives knowledge on someone else. They're converting that knowledge and they're imparting that knowledge upon someone. And I or we believe that it goes much further than that because it's not just content, it's the interaction, it's the engagement, it's the motivation of the teacher, the trainer towards the learner and ensuring that there is a level of mutual understanding as well. And that's why we, everything we do is about that conversation. It's a two-way stream. It's not the one way. I am giving all this knowledge in you and you sort of do what you want with it. No, I'm checking in with you and I want to be able to ensure that you understand everything and that you've reached a goal, whatever your learning goal may be. So what we have done is actually both with Teddy, but furthermore with Beatrice, is user testing with users across a variety of different geographical regions, different levels of education to see what were their thoughts when they're interacting with Beatrice. 
And we use skills, so questionnaires that are validated by the academics in the field. So we know that the questions are reliable to answer. We just didn't you know, come up with them ourselves. And what we found is by using these relevant skills, we found that the users found Beatrice warm. So that's very good for us. That us, gives us a sign that there is a human-like, trustworthy, really important, competent. Okay, competent, we expect it because we know the knowledge that has also been trained on and we have seen the interactions and they found a human-like. So the final skill that we used was whether they found us socially present and the users, you know, based on the ranking of that skill, did. they found her very useful. They loved the interactions. And by fine-tuning that further, we obviously continue the tests with them and using some other skills to develop their user experience even further. That's what we did. And we did a similar thing for Teddy, although there is not that many child-friendly questionnaires out there and children don't want to fill in endless questions. So it is adapted to be suitable for children. It's made in a more user-friendly way for children by having lovely emoticons and a lot of images on there. Children actually said similar things about Teddy. They didn't use these same words as warmth or competence because that's probably not yet in their vocabulary, but they said you know, they loved it. They wanted to talk more. They liked that he was asking questions. They want to tell their friends about Teddy. Some wanted to keep Teddy for themselves because they didn't want to share, <laughs> which was quite interesting. But that's some of the pedagogical user-centered design research that we have done and we continuously keep doing as well. I want to ask about a couple of teaching approaches that go beyond the approach of someone standing in front of a room and pushing knowledge out. One of them was prompted by your describing or repeating the description of Beatrice as competent and Teddy as competent, which is the approach of a teacher to pretend that they don't know anything about the subject and get the student to explain that when you can reverse roles and put a student in the role of a teacher, they can become much more competent very quickly. And there are anecdotes that range up to the level of a teacher making deliberate mistakes and getting the students to catch them. But another is simply, here, you, this is what Montessori does a lot, you, student, explain this to this other student. And so I'd like you to talk about that and also... The role of groups. Groups becomes very important or very useful in many ways when you facilitate a group discussion and you take it out of that one-to-one -one context. And in theory, this can be done by a large language model with the right kind of training. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, so thinking about the first one first, I actually have used it myself as well in my teaching methodologies pretending I didn't know and asking the students to tell me all about it. And it's very effective, I must say, or asking them to, as you said, talk to each other about it. And that's where I think the word engagement really comes in. So the trainer, the teacher, engaging with the learner and asking them the questions. And that's definitely something that is one of the core parts of how Beatrice interacts with the user. It's not her only putting knowledge out there, but it's also her asking questions, trying to find out if they understood what was said, trying to go really deeper and deeper to really go down that deepest critical thinking, really, of whether the learner has not just grasped the content, but can actually also apply that knowledge now to either a different scenario, a different setting, or can explain it to them back in a different word. So the word, we call it engagement. I think that's really crucial to someone's learning journey. The second part about groups, yes, that's a good point. We're not there yet with groups. For Teddy, I can speak, we have some ideas of multi 
players uh, being involved in several different game style scenarios where they have to work together to solve certain problems. That's in the brainstorming phase, I would say. And Dev, I don't know if you want to add something about group learning in Beatrice, because that's more your area. Yeah, so when we taught students across 11 countries, group work was absolutely uh, key in imparting not only the knowledge, but also really improving retention. We absolutely value that. But in the next six months, it's not in Beatrice's pipeline. At the moment, we are really trying to perfect this one-to-one learning. I wouldn't say perfect because it's going to be a very long journey, but we are really trying to get it to the next level. So whilst we absolutely appreciate it, we'll probably look at it from the middle of next year. Well, thank you. I think I hear the the bell ringing for the end of the period here. And so I just want to wrap this discussion up here, which has been fascinating. If you can tell me how people can find out more about what you're doing and keep in touch with your progress and follow the other things that you're doing. Okay, so you can find out more about everything we said today on our website, oiedu.co.uk. You can also, if you're particularly interested in Teddy, go to the Google Play Store if you have an Android and go to search for Teddy AI and then he's the only hit that comes up so you can download and start interacting. And on our website, you also will find our social media channels we're active on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter and LinkedIn. So feel free to reach out on any of these and you'll also find our email there if you want to reach out. It's info at oiedu.co.uk. So we love to hear from you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul de Altimans. Devaditya for coming on AI and You. It's been fascinating. Thanks for having us, Peter. Thank you very much for having us. That's the end of the interview. I think we get here that education is another sector that's poised to be radically overhauled by AI. We're really going through a positive feedback cycle that's accelerating so much in so many different fields. In today's news ripped from the headlines about AI, Swedish company Einride began testing autonomous trucks on US roads last year and is moving into operations on United Kingdom roads. Their electric trucks have no driver cab and are called pods, and are monitored by a remote driver who can take over when required from something like a giant gaming console. Einride recently announced their intention to go into cross-border markets, carrying freight across national borders without drivers on board. The context for this announcement was Europe, where borders can be relatively inconspicuous anyway. You may have noticed that we don't run advertising on this podcast, except for the occasional promo for my books or classes. I can't promise it will always be like that, but as long as I can keep it that way, I will, because I think it's a better experience. Another way to get a better experience is to grow the audience even further. We're doing great on that. Around 3,000 people now listen to the show each week, as far as I can tell. I assume that's a good number, relatively speaking, because I'm getting pestered by potential advertisers more and more. But I want to take it to the next level. The more listeners, the better show we can bring you. And the way to get more listeners, as I've said before, but not for a while, is for you to like and share the shows and give us a five-star rating. Next week, my guest will be Oren Etzioni, founding CEO of the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence, started by the late Paul Allen of Microsoft. He'll tell us about projects that understand scientific research like the Semantic Scholar and Semantic Reader next week on AI and You. Until then, remember, no matter how much computers learn how to do, it's how we come together as humans that matters. That's all for this episode of AI and You. Please leave a rating and comment and share with your friends. 
Get the book Artificial Intelligence and You and see more videos and articles at AINU.net. That's A-I-A-N-D-Y-O-U.net, where you can also send us your questions. Thank you for listening.